Um, and Sarah, I don't know if you could hear me better before or when I did the speaker. I was trying it both ways. So if, if the way it was before you could hear better, let me know and I will take it off of speaker. Um, Crystal? Yeah. Uh, suddenly in the last one minute, I was able to understand you. Although oh. Until now, it sounded like you were in a glass jar under the ocean. Okay. I didn't have the speaker on because normally I do, and you had said it, you were having trouble hearing, so I was seeing if that would maybe cut out background noise, but I'm glad you can hear now. Um, and just in case you missed it, uh, what, I, what we were doing there for a while that seemed to be busy work that was, um, is Faith Life Bible app will let you access uh, the slide presentation that we're currently watching and that we have up here. I was getting I, I was getting Tanya hooked up with that. So if you if you want to make note real quick, if you get when you get it downloaded, when you get inside, click on more and then it will take you it will give you the choice of presentations. And, and then type in, um, under the search for that, uh, Citrus Road Church, of, uh, Citrus Road Nazarene Church. Okay. And, and we're, you know, in, in Goodyear is the address, 418. And when you click on that, you might have to play around a little bit. I'm not totally sure what Tanya did, if it just popped it up for her or not. But that should let you access the, the slides that we're using today for the service, which fixes the problem that I've been trying to fix of how to have everything that we're doing here available to you all without it being on PowerPoint that I could upload. So, yay. <laughs> Praise God. We've got some answers. And, um, uh, but we're also, we're doing Daniel, so you can obviously follow along in any, you know, any, any version that you have of the, the Bible. Um, so I just, I'm keeping this at the beginning of each one just to remind us which section we're in. Uh, chapters 1 through 6 are the court tales. We're still there. 7 through 12, we're going to move to the four apocalyptic visions. Um, and that's going to be just a little more, uh, uh, maybe digging a little bit, you know, because that's the stuff that people debate. Did it happen? Is it going to happen? You know, what, what's going on there? So the first thing we're going to do today is, uh, starting chapter three, we're going to hear about Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. And we kind of talked last week about how Nebuchadnezzar had a declaration of, or a confession of acknowledgement, not to be confused with a confession of faith. He acknowledged, your God is amazing. Your God not only knew my dream, but told it to you, gave you the meaning, kudos to your God, he's pretty awesome. And look at that, I'm the head of gold, let's go build an idol. So <laughs> it's, it's not a confession of faith, but a confession of acknowledgement. Well, well you know, though, that's why I do, I guess. we do, though, because how, how many things today, you know, we've just gone through Job and we've looked at all the different false doctrines about God's character and what our life is supposed to be like. And if you, if you really, you know, if you were in his good graces... Yeah, but if you were in as good graces, you'd be rich. And if, yes. I'm sorry. I just, I just want to make sure I'm not going crazy. Did you just press something on your screen as far as like getting this ready? Yes. Okay. I'm in control of it. You just go along for the ride, woman. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I'm sure, like, I'm like, either my phone is okay, right, now. 
I am. I I have power. Nope, it's all good. It's all good. Which is why, which is awesome, because that means you guys can totally follow along and just enjoy and listen and and you know have your responses and not have to try and keep track of everything. And and I, I'm really excited about it. Yes, it should. It should do it for you. Yep. Yep. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Just enjoy the ride. (laughs) You know, but we we see this a lot because Uh um, even today, Uh when people have, you know, when people are led in a confession of acknowledgement about who God is, which I don't, and I don't think there's anything wrong with a confession of acknowledgement. You know, I think that that acknowledgement of how awesome God is, Uh is part of moving into a confession of faith. You know, if you don't if you don't know who he is, you can't confess, you know, you can't have faith in someone you don't know and and but once you meet him, then it becomes really important what you're taught about him and and how you're introduced to him. Because if you go into, you know, if the people who lead you in that confession of acknowledgement then say you know, now you're saved and you're in good relationship with God and you have assurance of salvation and good luck to you. Go, go join a church. Then you're left going, I don't, I, I don't know who I just prayed to. I don't, I, I, I'm aware that there's someone or something bigger than me and I, I've been longing to attach to that and this seemed like the answer and... So whatever, you know, our Western individuality and our Western approach to this very often leaves people thinking, so then whatever I read about him, think about him, feel about him, that that must be who he is. And that's that's not the case. And, And so for many of us, our walk of faith has involved that, portion of the journey that is what that was wait but okay well that that's you sound very sure of yourself but that doesn't fit my experience well I don't understand this but what you're saying makes no sense you know and so we've had to kind of flounder around if you will which is not God's fault and it's not our fault and and it's okay that that's part of our journey because God knows when we were born and the condition of the church at this time and everything that we need to go through to become who we need to be, you know, for him, for the kingdom, for ourselves, for our own walk. He, he's there with us on the journey. And when we have the Holy Spirit and we know to ask the Holy Spirit, he will guide us and he will draw us. It's just, there's a learning curve of learning who the Holy Spirit is, learning the Holy Spirit's voice. Um, there are a lot of voices that went to drown out, that went to drown out God. And there's a lot, can you sit and, yeah, I'm sorry, I have to keep my legs up. There's a lot of voices that think they're properly speaking for God. They don't realize they're drowning him out. You know, I always go back to that. By my own common, by the power of the Holy Spirit, my own common sense, I'm determining that we're supposed to do this, you know. Well, maybe, maybe not, but really, <laughs> you know. And so, so.
So, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind, but his power. Yeah. And power to do what he's called us to do, not our own power, yeah. not the ability to d- tell him to do what we want him to do. You know, uh, pow- love. Well, who defines love? His love. Right. And we have to learn what that is. And a sound mind, which is common sense, but it also means that um, as our mind is made over into his mind, as we are taking every thought captive to the word, it's not our street sense, you know, it's not our, our uh, you know, this is how I learned to survive in my home growing up sense, it's not our defensive sense, it's, it's common, you know, it's not so common sense you know it's the, it, it's it's the having a sound mind means one that's made over into his image and so it's developing not every thought we have as a believer means god put that thought there and you know in a, in a church that we were part of for for a while that this whole idea of well if you don't have a check in your spirit what's a check in your spirit it's not an engine light you know what's a, a check in your spirit means you think you're doing something wrong well if you don't know you're doing something wrong yeah. Sometimes, you know, the absence of this check in your spirit doesn't mean what you're doing is right. Right. It might mean clearly you need to do this to listen and learn because you're not looking it up any other way, so God's going to let you go through that and learn that way. Okay? But that doesn't mean it's good. Right. You know, just just because you're not watching the road signs that say curvy road up a mountain doesn't mean that you're not on a curvy road up the mountain. Right. So, you know, if you've driven that path before, then you know, you might, you know, you, then you'd be intentionally going that way. But if you don't know how to read the sign, or if you're in, I was watching a movie and they were, they were in, um, in Germany, I think it was. And one of the people programmed the GPS when, when they were setting it up, it, they told it, to do German because they wanted it to be able to know where it was. And they're like, no, that's it telling us, you know. So the GPS is like yelling all these directions in German, and they don't speak German, and so they don't know what they're doing, and they don't know. It like sounds like it's a warning, but they don't know what the warning is. And, and, and until we learn to speak God, you know, until we learn to speak his language, until we learn to understand you know, like I've shared before, when I realized that that feeling that I felt in certain relationships wasn't chemistry, it was my soul going, oh, dear God, run away. It was caution. But caution produces that same type of adrenaline as excitement. And, you know, I I didn't know how to read the signs. And so we can't just rely on... So, you know, because here, Nebuchadnezzar... This amazing thing happens. He's going to kill all the wise men in the whole land. And Daniel comes and says, our God told us your dream, told us what it meant. Here you go. Your God is amazing. Even though none of my gods. Right. None of my gods could do this. None of my gods are personal. None of my gods. But yet he's thinking either he's still grateful to his gods that he's in power or that awesome God must want me in power because he's let me be in power. You know, whatever his, his thought was so self-focused. I had posted uh, a thing on Facebook this week. Um, 
that that I I'm and it, it's relevant. I'm that's which is why I'm sharing it here, especially because we're only planning on doing one chapter a week because I want us to really talk about the issues because we're talking about idolatry here, you know, and he's yeah. building this idol to himself. Um, there was an article that I got off of I, I read on Chabad.org and it was, um, hey, maybe you could do that later. What, <laughs> what you're doing? <laughs> um, it, it was it was the Kabbalah of anger. And it was talking about how the sages can say that anger is idolatry. And the reason was, as it talked about it, it said, when we go through something, we experience it completely from our perspective. We have our feelings. We, we think we know. I mean, we, we see what we see happen. And, and we have our truth, you know, with a little T, if you will. And, and we have our feelings about that, and we feel justified in our feelings. But then what God calls us to do is to step back into our place in the whole fabric of his creation and realize that the other people involved have their perspective and their feelings, their reasons for doing what they did, their opinions about what we did, that we don't know what they are. And unless we've told them, they don't really know why we did what we did. So there's, there's this, it's not just our experience. It's a shared experience. And, and even, if, even if it was something that we think was just our experience, you know, we talked even on Yom Kippur about how what we do affects everyone around us and the things that happen to us, are, you know, affect the whole fabric of creation. And so when we step back and we ask God for his perspective and, and we, we seek to listen and understand the perspective of the other people involved, and that, that doesn't mean that we ultimately go, oh, well, if that's why you were doing it, then that's totally okay, because what they did might not be okay regardless. Or we might be able to go, well, now I understand why you did it. Here's how that affected me. And, and that's why reconciliation involves deepening relationship and listening and understanding and trusting the other person enough to share. And we don't, we, not everybody has earned our trust at that level. So, so we can have forgiveness without reconciliation. If reconciliation is not possible, the other person does not, is not seeking that also. Right. But when we stay in our perspective... When we hold on to our anger, or, or, and I really believe whatever emotion we're not willing to let go of, um, and, we are, and we refuse to step back into that fabric of creation, then that is why it becomes idolatry. We are worshiping our perspective. We are hardening our heart to the rest of creation by a refusal to consider any other perspective. Wow. And we declare ourselves judge and jury of the situation. And we put ourselves in the place that only God can be in for real. Right, because we don't know what the other person is really right. thinking. We don't know the thoughts of man. Right. God knows. And our feelings and our emotions, you know, when we're somebody who's wronged, we're supposed to be out in the courtroom, not on the judge's bench. 
Amen. We don't, you know, the judge is, that's why when a judge knows somebody in a case, they're supposed to recuse themselves. Yeah. They're supposed to say, I don't have the unbiased perspective to judge this properly. So God loves all of his creation. Right. And he knows all of us. And so when he's judging, he knows our wounds that we're, particip- you know, that we're doing things from. He knows our hurts. He knows our pain. He knows where we're being defensive. That's why he can judge. Right. And his judgment, as we keep talking about, is mercy. It's to say, I know you're hurting. Let's fix that. So when we refuse to step back and, and in a sense, recuse ourselves and say, no, I'm sorry, I sat down on the wrong chair in this courtroom. Let me move to the right chair. Let me move to the chair that's part of the courtroom. Let me remember that there are other witnesses and other people involved in this. Let me let the one who created us all sort it out. Right. Then, we're, then we are engaging in idolatry. So, so yeah, we can say, and I, and, I sh- and I share your reaction. I go, how do you encounter the God who can know your dream and explain it and then go worship yourself? You know, come on. Yeah. But, yet, but yet on a much smaller scale, it happens. It happens. It and, and when we do it, we essentially do this same thing because we demand everybody else bow down to our version of what happened. You know, by that same token, that's why I, I, guess, I guess maybe an example of this would be like ministers who have been caught in a folly, you know, um, be it uh, drugs, adultery, um, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. they've been caught in it. But yet they come every Sunday and they preach mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. And you're like, somewhere you detached. Right, right. Where was it? You, you thought you could and, do and, both. And then to you sitting in the, like you said, in the audience, you're like, hey, that was a pretty good sermon. Yeah, because <laughs> you like, don't know. <laughs> you don't know what's going on. But right. It's like, wow. It's, well, when and you it's. you find out, you're like, what? Yeah. Why didn't I know that? Why right. didn't I feel that? Be- feel and that? It's, it's usually because. Well, and, and this is this is part of the problem. I think that I think that in a lot of churches there is an idolatry of the pastor because just the members they're the man of God or the woman of God or touch not the Lord's anointed and, and very often very often the pastor will propagate that, but very often they don't. Very often it's they they Some don't dispel it, but sometimes they feel it was thrust upon them. Like they right. don't, they don't, but, and so they don't necessarily want it, but they're afraid of showing mm-hmm. their humanity. They're afraid of showing their weaknesses mm-hmm. because they have idolized the role. Yeah. Even if not themselves, you know, they've idolized the role and they feel like taking on that role is a burden that they're having to endure. So I have to look perfect. I can't let anyone know I'm struggling. I can't share my weaknesses. I can't share my sins. Um, what will they think of me? How, you know, they, they will lose respect for God if the pastor has problems when, when really it's the opposite because we don't need to lead people into more idolatry. We're perfectly capable of idolatry ourselves. Right. We don't need anybody to show us how to do it. No. 
You know, we're perfectly capable of clinging to our own perspective and demanding everybody else bow down to it or go in our fiery furnace. And, and you know, as we, as we read this chapter, you'll, you'll, you'll see, because we do that. We do that. No, this is what I think. I experienced it. I witnessed it. I don't need any other perspective. You know, if that's what you think, you're wrong. Some people go as far as to say, that's what you think. Right. I know that's what you think. That's and what you, you tell think. you think otherwise, they're like, you're lying. You're lying. Exactly. You're because lying. their perspective you're requires lying. that you think that. Okay, what they, what you did, the only way they understand it is if you think what they think you think. And it doesn't even matter what your truth is. It doesn't even matter that you had nothing... Amen. You, you, it doesn't matter that you had nothing like that in your heart. Like you, you don't even know. You're, you're listening to them and they're talking crazy talk, and you're going, "Wow!" And you're sitting there with your mouth open. And you're trying to figure out what you even did that offended them, much less how they think that about you. That's right. So, so this is, but that's idolatry. Yeah. Do what? Are you amen in there? Huh? Are you just amen in? Right. No, because it's your truth and it's so real. <laughs> you got that truth right too tight. Oh, right. And it takes a humility to step back into your place in the fabric of creation, mm -hmm. surrender all of that to God, and be really willing to listen to someone else tell their story without judging it, just accept it as their truth. And, and sometimes they'll be able to hear you or not hear you, you know. So humility is really strength. It, it is. It is not weakness. And and meekness and humility are the same. And people hear meek and think weak, and it's not. No. It's strength. Yeah. The ability to listen to someone else's story without imposing your own interpretation on it. That's right. Is, and, and because what you're doing is you are taking up the space God created for you and allowing them to take up the space God created for them. You are validating and honoring their experience, their perspective, their, you know, and, and you're learning about them because you're learning where they come from. You're learning why they took it that way. And it might, you know, the, what fixes it might be you explaining where you're coming from so that they will take it the way it's intended and not have that, like it may just be a lack of understanding. And then by sharing where you're coming from, they'll get it. But it also might be that something is triggering to them. And because you love them, when you understand that, you'll do it a different way to communicate the way they need to hear. And, and that's why it's so complicated. There's no formula. You have to be a student of them. There you go. Because otherwise you, you don't know it. I mean, right. If you knew it, you wouldn't have done it the way you did in the first place. Right. If you knew, you don't want to hurt them. For me, it's just, I just like had a conversation with Iran because it's really bad when it comes to him. I guess because my husband and we're so close. Right. But it's just like, I told you so, well, why do you, you know, we're, we're, I'm trying to get to come back and talk more. And he's like, but why do you do things like that? I'll say, this is how I feel. And you're like, no, it's not. And I'm like, well, I said, I'm going to explain that more. And I'm 
Right. It, it And it does. The thing is, um, what I've been finding is a lot of times people are, and, and I'll be honest, especially in the last 10, 15 years, people who've come of age in this time where 90% of our communication is online, they are very often oblivious and have a complete disconnect between their tone and their body language and what they are really trying to communicate because you can act like a complete jerk on your side of the computer, stomping your foot and rolling your eyes and typing all angry and, and really not like, and be thinking you're communicating because you've edited all of that out. You think you're communicating calm and you might be able to achieve calm in your, in your written words but when you're face-to-face -face with someone, unless you understand the interconnectedness of yourself, you don't understand that you might sound calm, but you're communicating. And, and at the same time, when we're on the receiving end of that, we have to be very careful because we can pick up on all of those other cues, but we still aren't mind readers and we don't know what's behind them. Yeah. They might be really calm about what they're trying to express, but really frustrated that we're not hearing them the way they intend. Right. So we pick up on the frustration, assign it to what they're saying, accuse them of lying. They get more frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's about, oh, I know, but it's, but we have to, we have to. Um, but even when you're face to face, that's where it takes the ability to say, okay, I hear you saying that you're not upset, right? but you're rolling your eyes and there's this intense yep. energy. That makes me question whether you're really upset or not, or is that something else? And the ability to ask questions and try to clarify and be the student, not the teacher. You know, when, when, when we talk about loving others as yourself, and the problem is a lot of us don't love ourselves this way. We don't have empathy for ourselves. We haven't, you know, like you were saying, Tanya, you're trying to be a student of yourself right now and figure out why, why am I doing this? Yeah. Um, and what you're doing, and, and, I, and I am not saying this in a judgmental way, and I'm only using you because you're the one who spoke up, but we all have to go through this, so it's, I'm not singling you out. But you are moving from... Idolatry of self to loving self. Right, right. Well, and, and the only thing that I found kind of hard, like I was talking to mom the other day or whatever, sometimes when you vocalize that or you'll tell someone, well, I feel that you're angry because your tone has changed, you're doing this out of the other, and they kind of shut down on you. Sometimes that part, too. Well, try, try not telling them. Try, try not telling them I feel like you're angry. Yeah. Try saying, uh -huh. I'm trying to understand why your tone has changed. Yeah, okay. And yeah, let I'm them like, tell oh, you. Right. Or you could also say, you could also say, uh, uh, which is the truth, I'm afraid that you're mad. 
But see, we don't, we don't admit our weakness. We don't admit our fears. We say it from a place of strength and defensiveness. And that's where communication breaks down. So when you're a student of each other, when you're really trying to, and people get the difference. They know when you're trying to understand. Yeah. And, and, and if, you're try, if you're really trying to understand and they take it differently, the person who's really trying to understand backs off and repositions. They don't. Yeah, keep going at. So let's yeah, let's try this again. Well, let's let's go ahead and jump into the text, and 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 we'll kind of, and this it'll wrap up everything. Because and I really wanted to talk about this idolatry because because this is what Nebuchadnezzar does, and and we're going to see what happens here with our with our heroes, you know. Um, and, and that's the exciting thing about Daniel. That's why certain parts of Daniel are in every children's Bible. You know, because these are some these are the great stories. These are exciting stories. Um, so King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. So I think wasn't cubits like the elbow to the to the wrist of the average person. So, but you know, that's why they stopped using that. Cause it was very, very biased. I mean, my, my cubit is different from your cubit, Definitely. you know? Yeah. It's, it ended up being about a foot and a half for the average man, I guess. So, so if you take a foot and a half times six, that's how wide it was. And, and a foot or, you know, a foot and a half times 60. This sucker's big. It's like 90 feet tall. Even a hundred feet tall. Yeah, this is a giant statue. He made an image of gold um, who, that was this big. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, so we're not just talking a, this is everybody needs to come make a way to worship this. We're talking opening ceremonies. We're cutting, talking cutting the ribbon. We're talking invited to the White House yeah. for this dedication. Okay, this is a big deal. And we know that three of our officials are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm -hmm. So they're brought with everybody else. And they're three of the top people like they're they're right there they're in that you know they're they're um you know they're they're the secretaries the secretary of defense the secretary of labor the secretary of war okay that, that, that's who we've got here we've got these three people really close standing up to the king at this ceremony where all the people in charge are then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, so he called them, and they all went. You do not say no to the king. Oh, yeah. You go. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, 
Now, now keeping in mind, because Babylon, remember, they've got the Israelites there. They've got all the different people. And, and I kind of was sharing how they absorbed them and took the good from them, but also left them somewhat autonomous, you know, as long as they answered to them. And that's, that's why Babylon wasn't hated like the Assyrians. You know, they they kind of absorbed you in. So, so, so the people, the officials, are the people from all over the kingdom who are in charge of their own people but answer to the king and make sure the king's wishes are what's carried out. They've come from all over the place. So they, he says, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Mm-hmm. That when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. So when the orchestra plays, right. You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Okay, so we see the same kind of thing as when King Nebuchadnezzar called all the wise people and wanted them to interpret his dream. It's like, interpret my dream or die. You know, this is kind of how King Nebuchadnezzar works, and it's kind of how Babylon was. Join us, or we'll kill you, which is why they joined them. But then they said, now that you've joined us, you know, you can keep doing your customs or whatever, but now, you know, you got to do this too. And they're like, okay, thanks for not killing us. And so, so now, fall down and worship this image, or die. It's pretty no middle ground. With pretty black and white world there. <laughs> Obey or die. Obey or die. You know, and so therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Isn't that the Yeah, bagpipe. <laughs> so, and I and I wanted to point out here. Uh, just kind of step back and point out something that is uh, something to keep in mind as you're reading different things in the Bible. It says all the people's nations and languages fell down. But we know from the previous section that it is the representatives in charge of all of those things. So when the, when, but culturally, just like, you know, and, and just like we are ambassadors of God to the world, which means we speak on his behalf and we're supposed to speak his truth to the world, even though we know that not everything we say properly communicates that. And that's kind of the idea of prayer is because we're his ambassadors to the world representing him, we're able to take the needs of the people around us and lift them up to him, send them back to our king and say, you know, king, you sent me to interact with these people and this is their need. So we speak for the people as well. And so there's, when the leaders, when the representatives, when they're talking to the people, they are speaking for King Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. When they go to King Nebuchadnezzar, they are speaking for the people. Okay? So the fact that the leaders are there, it is able to say, 
all the peoples, nations, and languages because the leader is bowing down on behalf of their region. And so when we look at Revelation and we look at prophecies and it talks about all the peoples, all the nations, it doesn't have to mean every single person from every single place. You know, when it says all the Jews, it doesn't have to mean every single Jew. Right. It could mean all the Jews who are going to or all the Jews who fit into whatever criteria they're talking about there. And so <coughs> it's just something, just something to keep in mind because we tend to think very black or white in this way. You know, it's all or nothing. You know, if it says all, it's got to mean all. Very literally, it was all. Every person in Babylon was there. Every person in Babylon wouldn't have fit there. Yeah. And it didn't tell us every person went. It was the officials. Right. It was the leaders. It was the governments from all the nations under the rule of Babylon. And they represent their nations. So, now we're going to encounter, if it will turn, dun-dun-dun, the fiery furnace. All right. So, everybody bowed down to worship. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Okay, now, maliciously accuse the Jews, maliciously speaking to their motivation. Mm -hmm. This is why, this is what motivated them. Uh, it was malice. It was destruction. This is, this falls under the category of we, of what we would define as gossip because gossip isn't really a word that you find in scripture. It's in some translations, but not others. Um, but it speaks to the Lashon Hara, the evil tongue. Yeah. Um, sometimes what you are saying is a lie that falls under that. Sometimes what you're saying is true, but your reason for saying it yeah. is evil. You want destruction. And now, just like, you know, we talked about the, the paradox of Job suffering for his friends who were then attacking him, the Chaldeans in our previous chapter were going to die, except Daniel stepped up. They didn't die, but they lost power yeah. because Daniel and his friends were moved into power where they had been before. Jealous. So they're alive and they're jealous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they, they aren't grateful. No. There's no humility. They'd rather, you know, rather be dead. I'd rather be dead and right than, than alive and wrong. No. They don't want to lose that position. They don't. Or at the very least, they want it back. <laughs> yes. You know, Sounds like and it. our gods aren't helping us like his God is. We've got to take matters into our own hands. So king, hey. Remember when you said that? Remember when you said that everybody yeah. needed to do it? And whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace? So let's call Let's make the king remember his words. Let's, let's, let's trap him. Tattling. Yeah, they are. They are. And, and they're, tra they're trapping him because they're reminding him. You know, remember you said this. I heard you say this. I'm right, right? I, I didn't misunderstand you, did I? 
Let, let me get you to say it again for confirmation. My daycare kids do that. I know. Did you really That's say that? Laughing. Well, they do. And the kids, kids will come and they'll go, Marie, Marie, so Marie you, said you said not, not to, do. to do this, didn't you? And I didn't do it. They did. They did it. So funny. There are certain Jews whom you have appoint, whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Not just over their land. King, you put them in power over your stuff. There you go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Now, the same information delivered in a different way might not have stirred him to rage. Okay. But because he is engaged in a level of idolatry of himself, they played to that. You're the king. Yeah. Remember you said this? Mm -hmm. And these people that you gave, you gave them, they're so ungrateful. Yeah. You gave them power. You said they could speak for you. And what did they speak? They defied you. And where's Daniel? Why didn't they take him? Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was He thinking. wasn't their where's... target that day. Maybe they knew they couldn't take Daniel down. You know he's like way up there. Right yeah, now. he's up a lot higher. So they're, they're, they're going to get up to him because he, he's coming. Yeah, you know he's coming. So... He's, Nebuchadnezzar's now in a furious rage. They've, they've fueled his ego and called him out. And, they, and they, these people are defying you, so they brought him before the king. Right. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Mm -hmm. And now he's saying, you know, I said your god was awesome. Are you not returning that favor? Mm -hmm. I acknowledged your God. You won't acknowledge mine. So you, you don't, you, I gave you this power. Mm -hmm. Are you betraying me? I feel like there's more on that slide than that. Oh, yeah. oh no. no Where did you go? Okay. Yeah. Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of... No. No, there was that, more on that. I think you're right there. Yeah. Oh, 1213, I did that. No, is it true Shadrach, Meshach, and oh, Abednego? Oh, the next slide. Oh, okay. I feel like there's more there, because that does not look like... Yeah. Hold on, let it me go. Like more. It looks like there's more words there, so I'm, I'm going to just go and double-check this. Um, let me see, into Daniel. This is why last week I had this all pulled up, and, and then I didn't this week because I didn't think there'd be an issue. 3, 12 through 13. Okay. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, is it on purpose? Well, then, oh, yeah, I guess it's, I guess that's right, yeah. Okay. It looks like a lot more words on my slide on my thing than went up there. And, okay, 
Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You find out. Okay, now, a lot of people mm-hmm. want to quote... What happened, you know, cite what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego mm-hmm. as proof that God will save you from anything that you might. But we have lots of martyrs. Yeah, we do. Lots of people who died. Lots of people who went into fiery furnaces and didn't come out. That's right. So it wasn't that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were so special. Right. Or that what happened to them is something we can claim as a promise from God will happen to us. Right. But... What we have is people who God has put into a very high position in Babylon. Mm-hmm. And a king of Babylon goes around provoking God over and over. Right. He took the things out of his temple. This is personal. Right. This is between God and Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. And Nebuchadnezzar has acknowledged God as being a worthy foe, if right. you will, and as doing something for him. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, but now who, who's the God who'll deliver you out of my hands? In other words, oh, you think your God is bigger than me in this way too? Oh, we'll see. And he's, and, and he says it in a way to, to scare them, you know, yeah, you better question whether you think your God is big enough, but also he's provoking God here. I know, I'm like, okay, turn, anytime now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Okay, which is a great lesson right here. Mm -hmm. When you're attacked, there's no need to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. The truth is what the truth is. Someone really wanting to know doesn't come accusing. It's like, you know, the kind of being on the opposite end of what we were talking about before. Someone who really wants to understand you doesn't come accusing. Um, if it's not true, you'll never convince them it isn't. If it is true, then there's nothing to say you didn't do. There's, there may be the question of why or, or, you know, but they're not asking that. If they are, you have a different answer. So they've been accused and they're like, we, we have, we're, not, we're not going to defend ourselves. They said, we have, nothing, we have no need to answer you. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. So you don't scare us. Yeah. Our God is bigger than you. Our God is more powerful. We are not going to be frightened into fearing you over him. And they said, able to. They didn't say He's able to, to right. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. So they're saying, you know, and and so here, remember, they have a very strong prophetic, you know, or or as we were talking last time, um, word of knowledge. Mm-hmm. They're, they're connected to the Holy Spirit. They know. The Holy Spirit's giving them the words to say. They know. My guess is, from how they handled the previous situation, when they learned about this, 
which they would have known while it was being built. It's not like he did a genie thing and popped it there. They saw it being built. The project took like years, like 10 years. Right. So for 10 years, they've been ruling and knowing this day was coming and praying about what to do and seeking the very same God who told them what his dream was and put them in this place for such a time as this. And they prepared that day when they knew they were getting called and they went out and they didn't bow down and they knew very well. We're pretty sure God's going to save us because that's what he's, that's what he's telling us. Mm -hmm. If we're misunderstanding or if we don't get saved, this is the end. That's okay. Either way, either way. We're not bowing down. (laughs) And I, right. And I want to kind of here take a sidestep over to the Isaac side of the Abraham-Isaac sacrificing story. Because we, we have Isaac, who's 30 years old, who knows he's the child of promise, <coughs> knows that these children are supposed to come from him, accepts that, that his dad's doing something he doesn't fully understand, but knows that God's going to get him out of it one way or the other. It's the same confidence. That's why he lays on the altar. He's either going to take me off this altar or bring me back to life one way or the other. I don't have any children yet, which is why they believe Abraham didn't let him marry until then was because you know, so they didn't, who, who knows how long, who knows when God told them to do it versus when they did it. Who knows how they prepared. Maybe God told them and they prepared for it. You know, something's going to happen and we're going to see God, but God, I'm telling you, God told me this about you. You have to know this. You know, so they go and they're like, okay, well, the day has come and sure enough. And they probably even knew who was going to turn them in because they'd probably been having problems with them yeah. for 10 years. You know, you think you're all that because you saved our lives. No, we, God's all that, not us. He just used us. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury wow. because they didn't fear him. And they didn't back down. And they said it. But they didn't have to say it rude. They didn't have to be in his face. I'm sure they were very respectful. You are the king. You have the power to kill us. Our God has more power. We're trusting in him. We will never serve your gods. Do what you got to do. That's right. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, so that is, that's a phrase. When When we talk about God turning his countenance upon you, yeah. His countenance changed. In other words, he, before this moment, he had favored them. Right. They were in high position. They spoke for him. Now his demeanor against them changed. He, he was hating them. He loved them. This shifted all that. Everything, you know, you could just say everything changed. Yeah. In an instant. In an instant. Yes. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Interesting seven, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. yes. Seven flames of the Holy Spirit. 
you know. Um, it's almost like inviting God in. It's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there may have been, he may have been, I mean, in the spiritual, he could have picked any number. Well, he could have, and and in a sense, he was going to kill their God too. Mm-hmm. Because when I when you die, your God, the God you're representing, who you said can save you, yes. don't have to deal with him anymore. Mm-hmm. So he died. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery they furnace. Didn't they probably they didn't. To bind them too. They probably they didn't. Do you really need to bind <laughs> Well, no, that's the whole thing. He didn't want there to be any. He's like, just throw them in there. He I wanted mean, to watch them suffer. Chance, right? You know, the Babylonians, it's not like they were nice to people in the first place. I mean, they weren't quite the Assyrians, they weren't filleting them alive, but they were, I mean, they're, you know. It's wow. the ancient world, and they're in charge. Yeah. But the mighty men of the army probably answered to Shadrach, Meshach, and it. They're telling their own soldiers to do it. Right. And I think there's a level of mind play there, too, because the people who answered to them are now having to, to do this. So he, he, it's a power play in every direction. Um, and I know we've gone a little bit over noon, but we're almost done with, okay. with the story here. So, um, then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. So those, those things are all going to catch fire. They're, you know, it, it's just going to be a mess because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. So they didn't even have time to prepare them how they might normally prepare them. They just tied them up and threw them in. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wow. Okay, so the people who got close enough to the fire to throw them in died from the heat of the fire. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fire burning fiery furnace so probably more like you know a pit because they're you know you could get close enough to shove them real hard and push them in right but and they still died then king nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste he declared to his counselors did we not cast three men bound into the fire they answered and said to the king true o king He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. How does he know what a son of the gods look like? (laughs) Well, he's a king. He's a king, yeah. I mean, probably their stories or, Mm -hmm. and and it might might be like a son, he might mean like a warrior. Mm Mm-hmm. He might mean that's a powerful dude. Yes. Yes. Um, these men worship like uh, uh, a god, so maybe saying was like the son of a god, maybe he could have been more referencing like maybe like is the son of the sun god, but he's really bright or something. Um, I don't. Well, I, I don't know if it was bright, I, but I think it was more like he looks like a, I mean, when we think of, of like Hercules, you know, and we, and, and we say, you know, we think 
half God, half man, you know, and the whole mythology thing. And he was, he was big and powerful and, and strong. And he, and you know, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were strong. They were, they were, but, but they were, they were officials, you know, and, and so they're, they're down in there. And then there's this warrior dude down there. Right. There's this guy that. The story of the Trojan War, all the people who were, all the kings prepared sons of gods. Right. Those were all real people with, who did real things. They just, right. They, they, just, they, they were extra special, so they must be from a god. Achilles was a warrior who literally like almost never died because he was one of the most powerful fighters. Right. And he was taken down by a single arrow. Which I is a very, human, a very human thing. Right. Isn't that something? Right. So then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. Not too near, because I know the other guy would have gone. <laughs> or and we don't know when then is. Did yeah. the fire die down? Did it cool mm. off? Were they mm. in there for quite a while, walking around? Yeah. I mean, we're not really give. Then is kind of a vague. Yeah. So when he could, Nebuchadnezzar came to, near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, "Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God." Come out and come here. Okay, so he's got some PR stuff to do here because they didn't.